This is Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hardell. Toronto's News, today's talk, 640 Toronto. Welcome to the show, my friends. Welcome to the weekend. It's a show about money and, well, I hope your weekend is money. Uh, we're off to a bit of a challenging 2024, I shall say, market-wise. Uh, I'm going to delve right into our uh, North American strategist uh, live from Montreal in La Belle Provence, Mr. Martin Roberge. Uh, Martin, uh, welcome to the weekend, my friend, and I want to thank you very, very much for spending some time with us. Uh, Happy New Year to you, my friend. Uh, Tell me, the uh, Rideau Canal, can you skate on it now? No, it's not frozen yet. Like, we... We uh, well, actually, the Rideau Canal is in Ottawa, but uh, here in down right. in Montreal, like uh, no, no, no skating on on the on on the river on the Saint Lawrence River yet, and uh, most of the lakes are just like barely frozen. It's going to take maybe another week of cold cold weather to to freeze everything, and no no skidoos on the lakes uh, either. So we need more. So, uh, so you won't you won't see Tony Dwyer buzzing up the St. Lawrence anytime soon. Yeah. Uh, no. To check checking in with you. You know, friends at home, if you have never been to uh, Quebec, um, La Belle Provence, for Carnival, uh, it's it's a must do thing as a Canadian. Um, it, it's cold, um, but it's fun. Uh, it, Jack, have you ever gone to Carnival? I have not, Wolf. Nope. But I have skated on the Rideau. You have skated on the Rideau Canal. That, that's nice. Yeah. That's nice. Well, uh, anyways, Carnival is a fun, fun week. Uh, Quebec is a great province. Um, how are the ski resorts out there? Uh, we're going to be bringing actually on uh, Glenn Crowder at some point onto the show. Uh, he's the uh, resident uh, ski expert uh, right here at 640 Toronto. Uh, I worked with Glenn decades ago when I was in radio, and of course, he's the son of Wally Crowder. Uh, but I ask you, Martin, uh, the ski conditions, have they improved at all uh, in the last we couple got, of weeks we, with the cold weather? We, we, we got a dump uh, in north of no, north of Montreal, like at Tremblant, like in this area. Like conditions have, have improved uh, markedly, but in the eastern townships, we're still waiting for because we got rain instead of snow last week. So uh, obviously, mountains where you can have artificial snow, where they can blow artificial snow, you're okay. Uh, uh, but uh, overall, like it's still pretty. Uh, um, uh, hard in terms of of, of 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 surface and and we like we we need to get some some snow in I would say south of of Montreal we need snow. It's a, you know I don't know how big the industry is of ski but certainly tourism uh, is a very relevant industry in Canada. Martin, do you know how big you, you look at the numbers? How big is tourism uh, to Canada overall in terms of a GDP? Well, it's 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 big, but it's go- growing bigger because. One of the things we've seen is that um, the Canadian dollar has been so weak for so long that when foreign investors or foreign travelers are looking at tech Canada as a destination, uh, everything is very cheap. And as you know, it's it's a good it's a place where you can do a lot in terms of of uh, outside activities. Food food is good. Uh, people are friendly. So, like, we hit all the, the, the good spots when it comes to attracting foreign travelers. And, and then with the, the Canadian dollar being so low relative to the euro or relative to the U.S. dollar, well, it makes it very cheap for, for, for foreign travelers to, to come to, to Canada. Yeah, I, and I know uh, in, in uh, Whistler and out west, there's been some startling images 
of, of, of the, the rain uh, and, and the mild weather that has affected their uh, key ski season, of course, which is over the Christmas break. Um, and they're still looking for some snow. Uh, but then, of course, a vortex kicked into gear. Uh, again, I, we can play with this in many different directions in terms of energy and that gas. Uh, but a vortex kicked in, and they had to shut down sunshine in Banff due to extreme cold temperatures. Yeah. Um, so the, the industry at, at large is challenged. And I'll take you right down to uh, Boots on the Ground. Uh, had to buy my daughter some new skis this year, so I went to skis and bikes and got outfitted. But the store was quite quiet, and it's usually a bustling store uh, in and around the month of December, a key retail period, of course, uh, to sell soft goods. And the store was quiet, and I asked staff uh, how the season was unfolding. It was absolutely abysmal. So I was like, geez, is that effect of higher interest rates? Is that effect of people being strained? Or is it more a case of bad snow? Uh, what do you think it is, Martin? Bad yeah. snow or people yeah, strained? Bad. It is bad snow, uh, quite bad frankly. Snow. Uh, like you, when you sit, like you watch football, you watch the NFL, Uh, and then you look outside the window and you see grass in your backyard. Like you don't feel like going skiing. And that's you get, Martin, you love this. You're, you're, there's there's bear poop. The, the, the bears are coming out of Worcester and pooping right in front of uh, Matt Cece's uh, condo. <laughs> yeah, but I, uh, you know, I'm serious. It is. Yeah, so I know green. the grass is green at Worcester. And, but yeah. I, I then. But there's a power play here. And I, I'm not Jack Easy. We're not talking hockey. Uh, <laughs> an energy. There's an energy trade here because uh, I was doing my weekly Kelowna show uh, with Phil Johnson. I do that every Friday. A two minute check in to my friends at Kelowna, BC, and he said that they they have to import electricity due to these shortages. And then they're saying, well, with the spring runoff being what it is, uh, next season, a shortage of snow would mean very, very high energy prices and more importing taking place. Uh, so I wish we had a, a youth analyst that we could lean on. Uh, but what do you make of all that, Martin? Yeah, it's, it's it, you know, it's, it's, it's challenging because we just don't know about the weather. Like what I've noticed over the last couple of years is, is that it, it, it tends to be cold like later in the year. Like it, it seems like back in like in in the old days, like December was cold. Now it's oh. it's, it's, it's now it's January, and March was was warm, but March now is now cold. It seems like every everything is kind of have been moving, and we're getting like uh, warmer weather uh, earlier in in the winter, but colder weather uh, late in, in 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 the winter. So it's it might only be like the, like the season or the ski season or the skidoo season. Um, extending for for two or three weeks because cold is moving uh, later in, in, into the winter. Yeah, well, perhaps you are right. You know, it's funny. I, I surmise amongst myself every now and then uh, who's better at predicting a weatherman or a we'll say portfolio manager or market strategist. Uh, you know, you know my answers on that one. I think uh, you and I could do a pretty good job of forecasting the long term, uh, the day to day noise. I think the weatherman can do that better. So I think weatherman better yeah. short term. You and I better long term. What do you yeah. think of that, Jack? You agree? You agree on that one? I would agree. Yeah, long long term, the stock market does what you would expect it to do. Companies tend to grow their revenues, have good profit margins, and over time create value in the stock market. Short term, it's a lot of noise. It's uh, driven by short term the, the short term news cycle. You know, I'll challenge you one day on that value creation because uh, a lot of companies destroy value, and I was warned of that when I got in this business. And the name of the game is find those companies that truly create value and they don't create value equally uh so that that is a, a whole other subject matter and the key is to buy the right stuff and own the right stuff at the right 
time of the market cycle. <laughs> Easier said than done, isn't it, Martin? Yes, uh, yeah, and then don't forget, like, you have to look uh, across various uh, company sizes, like uh, wealth creators uh, first were small companies, and that, that became bigger. So, so it's not only anal- analyzing, like, the big companies, but also looking at the next 10 or 20 baggers, which are usually more, like, smaller in, in cap size. Oh, aren't those exciting? Aren't those like Apple? Oh, uh, again, Martin, 20 years ago, I'm not sure where the share, if I could pull it up here, probably five, six dollars. Uh, Apple today is what, 180? I'm not even sure if that's adjusted for splits or not. But that's what, uh, 20 plus another 60. That's a 36 bagger, if my math is right. I think it is. Uh, a 36 bagger. That's uh, Peter Lynch speak, isn't it? My daughter got me into Martin. If you're bored, take, pull this one up. Uh, Elf Beauty, E L F is the symbol. Yeah, um, and I just, I just used that Peter Lynch thinking on that one. Uh, now I've done that twice with my kids. <laughs> so far, I'm flipping coins, but it's okay. <laughs> Thanks, Elliot. I won't uh, publicly admit uh, the stock you got me into. My and of course, my doing. You know, I'll say something else, friends. In life, we have to try our best to learn to accept responsibility for everything. Every outcome in our life truly is our doing. Uh, accept that you know, uh, sooner rather than later. And I think you'll be a happier individual. When I speak to Martin and Martin guides me, uh, I can accept his advice. I can reject his advice. And whichever decision I make is my decision. Um, I will say the most important thing in building wealth is getting started uh, and repeating uh, towards a proper process, um, keeping it simple and just doing you know, what landed immigrants do. How about that one? Uh, I find landed immigrants much more prudent with their money, and I don't care where they came from. They tend to hit it out of the park in terms of uh, quickly building wealth. Um, and, uh, you know, Martin, you know what I like to play with a lot is compound tables. Um, and Jack and I, and I'm sure you can have fun with this as well, is in terms of the power of small numbers. Uh, but compound tables are, just show you two different ways, one numerically and two if you chart it or graph it, uh, shows you how wealth is built um, slowly. Uh, and once it is built, boy, does it then uh, exponentially grow. Uh, and what's that book we just finished reading, Jack, you and I? Um, the Same as Ever? Same uh, as Ever, yes. Same as Ever. Uh, beautiful line in that, Martin. His line in Same as Ever. I'm not sure if Kevin, our branch manager, gave you a copy of the book. There's quite a few floating around the company. Excellent, excellent book, friends. Um, but, but the beautiful line is the same as ever. And the line is, good things happen slowly. Bad things happen quickly. Um, again, I'm going to uh, pop a quick, uh, give you guys a quick uh, quiz. Martin, Jack, what if you had a brilliant line about the market in terms of uh, discounting um, and, and truly what, what catches it off guard? Uh, eloquently, Jack, do you recall Martin's line? Or Martin, do you recall your famous line uh, about the unexpected events in the market? I, I do, Wolf. So I, and I, I think it was actually Javid that said it, but it's uh, the market It doesn't dislike bad news. It dislikes surprises, especially negative surprises, because they're not priced the for it. Just like surprises, yeah. yeah. Uh, and again, the, uh, the book that you and I just finished reading spoke about surprises. Surprises don't come out of nowhere. Surprises are built slowly from small little occurrences. And then over time, those small little occurrences um, trip up that surprise to make it actually take place. Um, And they tend to happen, really bad surprises, um, about once every 10 years. Sci-Fi Radio is a show about money. Uh, We want to build wealth 
collectively. So yes, we can all become wealthier, uh, but we have to do a little thinking and communicating and some work. And that's what the show is all about. It is a workshop on building wealth. Hi-Fi Radio 640 in Toronto. More show coming up right after this. Let's take a break. Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio on 640 Toronto. Arcade fire for you, my friend. Canadian band from Montreal. As is this gentleman, or North American strategist, Mr. Martin Roberge. Uh, my friend, thank you yep. uh, for spending some time with us this evening. Just a uh, little musings, having some fun, talking about numbers and money and all that wonderful stuff. That's what the show is all about wealth creation. Um, a new year, new beginnings, Martin. Uh, do you believe that uh, markets tend to set a new tone, a new beat as a new year unfolds? And if so, to what degree do you see such pivot and change? Because I, I personally do believe that there's a lot of change uh, as a new calendar page folds over. Yeah, obviously, like you, uh, you, you, you look at the, uh, the January b- barometer, uh, there are various uh, uh, seasonality patterns that you can you can monitor, but uh, obviously when when January is kind of uh, uh, challenging, usually the rest of the year is is challenging as well. But it doesn't mean that it's it's going to be a bad year, um, mind you. Like the reasons why folks are nervous in a particular January could be because like there there are some uh, economic uncertainties, but if those uncertainties turn out to be like uh, uh, not as bad as as expected. Well, uh, markets can 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 continue to thrive, and this is going to be a, li- a year like this. Uh, there are some expectations uh, on one camp that the economy will just like uh, uh, cruise along, and there are expectations whereby like uh, we could have some kind of a soft patch uh, around summertime. Um, so so those are the challenges for that investors are facing this year, and. And lastly, last year, we, we know that it turned out to be like uh, a better year than expected. But one thing is for sure is that um, uh, we, we have a situation where, um, yes, like last, last year the market did well, but it was not everywhere. Uh, so there's, a, there's certainly a, a possibility where uh, this year we, we, we see winners underperforming and, and losers outperforming Pretty much like we saw in 2022. Yeah, you, you tend to see a bit of a passing of a baton. Some of last year's winners continue, a.k.a. the FANG stocks and specifically NVIDIA. Uh, but you see a passing of a baton uh, in, in other areas. Uh, we're seeing a bit of a pickup, for example, in telecom services. The likes of the big carriers in the United States, Verizon and AT&T, that have been left for dead with 7% dividend yields and earnings yields twice that. My point yeah. is the companies are making so much money that even when they pay out a very generous dividend, they still have the same amount of money left over. If they're making $5 and they pay out $2.50, uh, they still have $2.50 left over. And they have built out the 5G network. So uh, yeah. any business student out there 
in one of your textbooks, you there's a phrase called a cash cow. It's a mature business that just spits out cash, uh, often for a long period of time. Uh, other ca- other cash cows become sacred cows and end up as hamburgers. Uh, I just have some fun with you this evening. Um, what about the debt market, Martin, the bond market? Um, I have a small position still uh, in the bond market, and you advised me to take some of the money off the table. Uh, I didn't. Uh, for I, I still see uh, interest rate cuts in front of us. Uh, but, Jack, you made some brilliant statements. You know, how much of the interest rate cuts are already priced into the bond market? Uh, markets are forward-looking discounting mechanisms, my friends at home, and that's what makes them so challenging uh, for a uh, average individual because what you're seeing is front-page news, which has already happened, and the market doesn't care about that. It is six months in front of that. Uh, there is talk of interest rates cutting taking place in the spring of this year. We're only a few months away, um, and yet the bond market has already taken interest rates back higher, Martin. So, at this point forward, where do you think we are in the bond market, Martin, in terms of yields? In terms of downside uh, potential, uh, in terms of in terms of bond yields, like we we're we are still starting targeting like three point five for this year, end uh, uh, end of year. But one thing is for sure is is that this is not going to be a, a, a straight line down, and this is why we've been arguing for maybe pocketing some profits lately. Because, as you mentioned, um, the bond market has been very aggressive in pricing six uh, rate cuts by the Federal Reserve. And uh, folks are just basically using the same playbook or relying on the same playing playbook that we've seen over the last several years, whereby when the Fed starts cutting, it really cuts, okay, in a sequential way and cuts cut very fast. The problem is that this is probably the first time where we've got offsetting the, 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 the or protecting growth is, is, is what we call fiscal reflation. Like, as you know, deficits are very high around the world, but especially in the U.S. So if you're stimulating the economy from the, from the back door or from the back end, um, well, you may not need as much rate cuts as you had in the past when there was no government support to the economy. And that's the issue we have is that if historically we we would need six rate cuts without government stimulus, maybe this time we need only three or four rate cuts. And I just believe that the market is somewhat ahead of the of the Fed right now. And we believe that uh, some some rate cuts will be uh, unwinded by, by market participants. Uh, then that will create another buying opportunity, uh, as we know that uh, growth is going to continue moderating, but inflation also continue moderating over the next two years. Uh, it's again like it's 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 a it's a it's a market where we know that the the trend is down in terms of bond yields, just not uh, a straight line in our view. Um, so let's stick with a, a fabulous cliche on Wall Street, which is buy on rumor sell on news. Uh, again, you, you mentioned it. When, when we finally get some rate cuts, you will see some bond selling pressure. Uh, traders will take that as a signal to perhaps exit the market. Um, so selling in front of the news perhaps is more of a prudent strategy, Martin. Um, so at this point in the juncture, where would you, in terms of a calendar, uh, consider lightening up on some debt if you had some? 
Uh, I would I would do it now. Actually, I would do it right now. Like it, obviously, like it's a it's a question of trimming. Okay, it's not a question of blowing off a position because you really have to to have bonds in your portfolio because we 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 know that when we've seen already a peak in inflation and a peak in policy rates, we know that the the trend is is lower one and two years out. Uh, so. So, but again, historically, when you go into some kind of a uh, quasi-recession, you will lose about, or you will see bond yields falling like 200 basis points or 2%, okay, uh, from their peak. But there's about 100 coming before the Fed cut, cuts rates, and there's another 100 coming after the Fed cuts rates. And right now, uh, we've seen yield uh, already falling 100 uh, basis point. So the prudent prudent uh, way to manage bonds would be to, to 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 wait at least when we have more visibility as to when um, the actual first Fed cut arrives. And in our, in, and in our view, this is more likely a summer story uh, rather than a, a spring story. Summer story now. That's interesting. So being pushed out a little bit. Martin, my yeah. next question to you for me in terms of the bond market. Again, I want to take this right home to Main Street because, uh, Jack, you mentioned to me you're speaking to some of our real estate people and they're seeing some challenges in the condominium market where people are basically uh, uh, walking away from deals because they can't get financing. So money is being seen as being very tight uh, and, and hard to come by uh, for those in the uh, uh, new debt market, the mortgage market, in other words. Uh, Bank of Canada uh, who versus the U.S. Central Bank. Who is going to cut first, uh, do you believe, Martin, us or them? And who can cut the most, us or them? Uh, the, uh, undoubtedly, the, the, the Fed will be cutting first. Um, oh. Yeah, the Fed will be cutting first because don't forget that uh, in the U.S., um, the strong U.S. dollar is is kind of a roadblock to uh, global economies or global exports. While in Canada, we have the opposite. We have such a low or weak Canadian dollar that the exports uh, or the the lower Canadian dollar is is working as a, a valve uh, for for our exports. And God knows that we are exporting quite a lot. Uh, so, given the fact that we have this. This uh, this oxygen from from the lower Canadian dollar, uh, the the Bank of Canada can can take its its time uh, to, uh, to 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 cut rates. While in the U.S., um, global markets are are tougher to to uh, to reach because the U.S. dollar is is very expensive. So it it costs a lot of money for foreign um, companies or foreign consumers to buy U.S. goods. Very interesting. So U.S. is going to cut rates first. Not good for Canadian mortgage holders, especially those looking for some new financing. Uh, well, we've always said uh, on this show, and Jack, you and I have always said to our clients, and I've said it on television and radio for over 20 years, reduce debt. Uh, debt needs to be paid off, uh, including mortgage debt. There must be a strategy to reducing debt down to zero. Uh, and you only appreciate that when interest rates get a little bit uh, expensive, which they have become. Uh, friends at home, if you have any questions about topics like this, never hesitate to reach out to Jack or I, WolfgangKlein.com, TheWolfOnFaceStreet.com. We're going to take a break. We're going to thank Martin Reberge for spending some quality time with us this Saturday night. And we're going to uh, head to the institutional side of Bay Street, speak with uh, an institutional uh, 
shall we say, representative, Mr. Jason Sleet uh, of Canaccord. It's going to be a dynamic conversation. I'm looking forward to that. Don't go anywhere. There's more Hi-Fi Radio in a moment on 640 Toronto. Remember that? Yeah, I cue up your music on Hi-Fi Radio. It's, uh, that's my fidelity for you for this segment. And uh, that has been queued up for my very good friend, new friend, but good friend, uh, Mr. Jason Sleep. Uh, He's got a very odd title. I'm not even going to share it with you because I can't make sense of it, uh, nor will you. Um, but, uh, Jason, you know, I see you as, as an institutional money guy of the street where you sort of bop around into, you know, institutional offices and share with them some ideas that you have that uh, Canaccord has a specialty in. And you're able to try to add value in uh, their wealth creation strategy. So, uh, I don't know, that's kind of, no one's probably ever uh, coined you as a bit of a roadrunner, have they? I think that's fair, Wolf. Yeah, thank you. Kind of fun. That's kind of it, a little beep beep. I don't know if you remember. I love that. that. It brings back some memories, and you know, I was fun, uh, right? Yeah, you know, we always hate always hate uh, dating ourselves, but um, you know that we've been around, right? You and I, uh, we've seen some ups and downs, and I, uh, yeah, I was thinking back, like, listen, I had just finished my business degree when the when the yen crashed, right, and then moved into merchant banking late nineties, and then the you know, dot com bubble burst. That's actually around when I moved to uh, Merrill Lynch in New York, um, summer of 2001, and you know worked with guys like Henry Blodgett, right, of uh, Infamy now. Um, that was running the tech team down there. September 11th happened. Markets crashed again. So I've had the benefit, like I say, like you, of seeing uh, some of the best and worst of times um, a few times. That's absolute gold. What you just said yeah. to us there, um, and, and and you know you have to earn your stripes in this business. You got to. Uh, log hours, you know, the Beatle analogy of, of you know, you got to put in your 10,000 hours. Uh, Jack's <laughs> line is, you know, time time on the water, right? Jack, from a sailing point of view. Uh, market cycles, going through a market cycle uh, is, is interesting. Going through multiple market cycles truly, truly, truly hones you, I think, or throws you out of the game. Uh, and uh, Jack and I have been, I think, very, very well honed, and have, as have you, Jason. But it's funny, you know, uh, as that you know, little theme music from the Roadrunner made you uh, feel, you know, dated. Um, a lot of things in, in, in money don't change, uh, and that's the human spirit. Uh, yeah. And, and and that's what makes the game very, very interesting. You know, I I spent some time watching uh, about ninety minutes um, the value of everything on Netflix, Jason. It's about the mm-hmm. art market. Uh, have you seen that documentary? I haven't, but I'll I'll definitely seek it out now. Who says that piece of painting with three circles on it is worth twenty million dollars? <laughs> uh, and then the piece that you bought in the streets of uh, Montreal is worth three hundred dollars. The, the the human psyche comes comes up with these numbers, but the market's like that too, Jason. Because you know there's some great sectors. I take nutrients as an example as a stock, uh, a Canadian or an international. Uh, leader in its field uh, of uh, fertilizers uh, and nutrients to grow stuff. Uh, more people, more food consumed, more protein consumed, more food consumed, uh, more nutrient required in the ground. Stock is going lower. Stock is cheaper than chips. And uh, Jason, I had to cut that stock. I just cut it uh, a few days ago at uh, $69. Uh, stock wow. is now $66, trending lower. Cheaper than chips, the market doesn't care. Uh, yeah. We own the stock, Jason, um, FICO. 
uh, your FICO scored uh, in the credit market. Uh, here's a financial stock that is, you know, a pretty boring business, uh, you know, keeping credit scores on people and offering them to, to lending agencies. It trades at 52 times earnings, and it goes up every day. Uh, and, and that's, that's what really behooves me in the market. That's why I think trend following and momentum investing make a lot of sense. Uh, forget about your personal bias and value that you perceive. What does the market have to say about a particular stock or sector at any given point in time? So I got to throw it over to you, uh, Jason. You're a very smart guy with a lot of experience. Where do you think we are right now in terms of that psychology, in terms of the, what the market thinks it wants and is pushing higher, and what the market thinks it doesn't want and is pushing it lower? Listen, I think that there's a lot of factors at play, um, and you're right. You've got to listen, like listen to the music. You got to listen to the market. You've got to listen to investors, and sometimes that means not necessarily listening to the popular press or the things in the headlines. Um, you know, it's it, it's easy to get bearish on things broadly, but even in those environments, there are places to make money, right? Uh, you talked about, you know, history doesn't repeat itself, but people do. Um, and uh, I think you and I even talked about a, uh, a lengthy read, Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds. <laughs> Well, a book that was uh, written in 1841 still holds a lot of truths uh, today. But you're right; it's, uh, the word, okay? it's it's a heavy read. It's a heavy read. But but you know, like we're I think saying here is that um, trends will will reappear, and it's it's the investor's um, job to find those opportunities. So, uh, you know, I happen to think that there's enough water that's gone under the bridge now for the folks that have been hiding out in some kind of uh, GIC or T-bill and avoiding the apparent risks of an oncoming recession, which now all of a sudden, lo and behold, doesn't appear to be uh, manifesting, um, but are going to start looking for risk appetite. But that doesn't mean everywhere. That doesn't mean in every sector. And there will be good companies, as you point out, that have attractive valuations, but are ignored. Um, but glad until... you, Jason, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you, I, sorry for me, uh, and it's difficult. We're not in the studio. We can't see each other and use body language to help communicate and make the show a little smoother. <laughs> yeah. um, but no, you, 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 you use a very important word, um, risk appetite, because I want to ask you that very, very question, because again, you have your feet on the ground. Part of your business is, is, is helping companies raise money, uh, directly, indirectly, uh, mm-hmm. and, and of course, uh, which sectors need money, which sectors don't need money. Um, is there any more appetite? How much more appetite, if so, this year versus last, for some risk capital where people say, I'm willing to you know, uh, push the envelope here and uh, uh, add some torque to my portfolio. Yeah. You know what? I think it, it's, it's coming back. It, we saw some emergence of that uh, just around the Labor Day period last year, but um, you know, then on October 7th with the Middle East conflicts uh, erupting, folks kind of sat on their hands again and uh, appetite was by and large quiet or non-existent through the rest of the year. But as you say, I'm uh, yeah the roadrunner pounding the pavement, and uh, I spent a good amount of time circulating with, keeping in touch with our institutional client base and our wealth advisors, folks like yourself. And and I would say, and hopefully you recognize this as well, like you walk around our wealth management floor, it's the busiest I've seen. It feels like in two years with advisors in active. Of course, it's RSP season and annual reports and a lot of it. They but love my music, buddy. I'm, my <laughs> yeah, you're drawing them in. Music, but, buddy. I, I'm drawing. <laughs> <laughs> but it's they're back. 
and now more willing to have conversations. And with conversations come, you know, some willingness to start investing. And I think uh, it's like getting a train moving again, but we're, we're starting to move. And, you know, in fact, as recent as last night, it was maybe the first test of risk appetite in the market with a, uh, a Diane Durham financing that, that we led, you know, See, it's trading well in the market, right? And so there hasn't been a, a, a large offering, equity offering in the market north of 100 million yet this year. Um, and now it looks like you know that's that's starting to happen successfully. So these are green shoots. Uh, again, they're not. It doesn't mean everything is going to do well, but I think that uh, people are now starting to go back to work and looking for opportunities. And so that's where I focus. And of course, you say we're, we're trying to raise capital for issuers, but you can build a gas station, uh, but you, you need gas and you need, you need drivers, right? <laughs> Otherwise you just have a couple pumps in the middle of the desert. So we've got lots of people that want to raise capital. Do we have enough investors for that risk appetite? And I do think so, it's geez, coming back. I'm going to ask you a bigger question here. Yeah. Are, the, the business is, 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 is incredible. There's a lot of interesting, um, uh, dynamics that really make businesses sizzle or not. Uh, and I, I need to drum it down to a story. Good stories attract attention. Uh, good stories are believable. And, 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 and business really much, very much is a marketing exercise, uh, both on Bay Street and Wall Street and at the retail shelf. Uh, look, Jace, we're going to take a quick break. I want you to ponder what are the greatest stories that you can really get your head around uh, mm-hmm. for the next few years. Commercial break, iFi Radio 640 in Toronto. Uh, we're just musing with the roadrunner uh, of Bay Street. Uh, his name is Jason Sleeth. Yes, I'm the wolf on Bay Street. And uh, I think wolves like roadrunners. Uh, except they run too quick. Want to make more money? Stay tuned for more Hi-Fi Radio on 640 Toronto. Money. It's Hi-Fi Radio. Welcome. New to the show, well, Jack and I are students of the market, and we look for other students of the market to join us and uh, share some time with us uh, each and every Saturday right here on 640 in Toronto. Uh, Jason Sleep, uh, one of our institutional fellows, uh, can't afford spending some time with us this evening. Jason, thank you. Thank you. So I know you uh, you were posing the question of um, you know where do we find opportunity and what's going to be the trends over the next few years so we can jump into that if you like please do jason over to you so one of the things that i like to hunt for are good ideas in plain sight right uh oftentimes you walk by something and if it's not flashing you don't notice it and so (laughs) i I know you know larger cap liquid opportunities are important but um i actually think the tmx group is is appealing this to me is the the large cap fintech name standing right in front of our eyes. $10 billion so enterprise value. Toronto Stock Exchange itself? The symbol X. Toronto Stock Exchange, ticker like X. Um, like keep, keep going, buddy. You're on my $10 year. billion dollar enterprise value. It trades over $30 million uh, a day. It's As a business, they're going to generate upwards of $800 million of EBITDA. Uh, the, share, the shares have rallied the last couple of months, but they announced a big, like north of a billion dollar creative acquisition of a company called Vetify. So that brings a recurring revenue. And this is you know, the holy grail of, of 
tech companies, and fintech in particular, recurring revenue near 80% of their top line and 60% adjusted EBITDA margin. So, wow, massive cash flow. You know, it's funny because what I was thinking, and I was thinking the obvious and it was wrong, I was thinking uh, with, with no uh, risk appetite, no capital being raised, uh, new issues is very quiet. That'd be bad for the exchange. Well, listen, you are right. The issue is, and that's what a lot of people think. They think it's it's an exchange, but it's far more than that. In fact, they're what they would call capital formation business, right? That's a trading and new issues and IPOs is less than half of their overall business now. It's now more about data and yeah, yeah, and that makes them a fintech company. So it trades at about 12 times forward EBITDA. You've got global peers like NASDAQ, SIBO, ICE, etc. They're all at 16 to 18 times. It pays a little token yield of couple percent. You know, I just think it's, it's a large cap liquid name that uh, is more of a tech play than a an exchange play. Jason, thank you for that, uh, sincerely, because that's on my sh- uh, watch list. It's on my short list, uh, and we have owned it before. And technically, I, I see it breaking out. Uh, I like the brand. I was just concerned about the issuance. You solved that question for me. Um, it's just a time. We've we got one more question for you, Jason. So give us another idea like that. Okay. Now, this one is a little more of listening to the street. And right now, the one thing that has been working is uranium. Uh, and I think, you know, you've had success in that space and it, it's, it's a little bit difficult to hold on to the larger cap companies that have done well. Um, but, you know, I would argue that there's several more years of trade to happen here with structural support, right? Um, you've got companies like China and India and Turkey that are ramping at incredible rates in their nuclear generation. Of course, the global geopolitical disruptions, uh, they're unlikely to be resolved for years, unfortunately. But that's moving to things like the U.S. House and likely the Senate have banned Russian imports. You've and their goals of energy independence are all driving this construction of you know, more vertically integrated supply of uranium and to support some growth in what they call these small modular reactors. There's sulfuric, sulfuric acid shortages that are hitting, that actually just last week hit the, the world's largest global producer, uh, Kazatoprom. Uh, that's sort of like Cameco has encountered uh, surprise issues. So all of that is driving, and plus, and then on top of it, You've got ETFs that are are now raising enough capital and buying so much physical that it's dwarfing the actual um, utility purchases in the market. So they're having to scramble and now pay higher prices. And given it's inelastic, we think it could go even higher. So as a firm, we're very bullish on the uranium space. Um, And, you know, of course, personally, I think the big opportunity now is in the smaller caps, um, the market hasn't bet on them yet because the the fears and the the bears would say that supply is is going to come online so quickly it will it will correct this imbalance in a year or two. You know, I'm going to point to what the largest global producer said last week, and that is that they can't meet their 2024 and unlikely to be to meet their 2025 production guidance. So, to me, this is going to be a I think Cameco is is a great story because that's the problem. Ironically, sorry, Jason, was that Cameco that made that? Are they not the world's largest? They're not. No, Kazataprom, it's uh, ticker KAP listed in London, uh, is the world's largest producer. And the difference here between those two, because they're both, Cameco's a little more vertically integrated, very good story, but they have long-term contracts, some of which are at prices well below the current spot. So it could negatively impact their book. They hedge their book. 
they hedged their book. Because Adaprom is fully exposed to the spot. So if you're bullish on the price, real leverage play there. They got more torque, right? More Um, torque. More torque. So, and then that's very interesting, Jason. That's brilliant. What about what about Denison? Denison again, another good player. These are the larger plays that have liquidity. Um, It's just that. The difference, of course, is if you if you look at the businesses that are kind of nine figure market cap uh, or higher, have performed really well because that was the first place for investors to go. Uh, again, right. we still see significant upside, but there are other players. There's some folks in the Athabasca Basin that are now exploring the western edge of it, uh, which is where some of the you know, you're elephant hunting at that point. Folks, that, there's one company that's got almost 800,000 acres in the area. And it's it's a micro cap that nobody's really picked up on yet. And I think if we move back into the sort of sort of uranium cycle that we have seen in decades past, uh, there's going to be a few of those explorers that will have tremendous performance over the next little while. But as a space, we like it. No, it's a fascinating space, uh, uranium. And Jack and I have really worked through now two super cycles in their uranium, as there was a major super cycle. Uh, they called it the nuclear renaissance. Uh, mm-hmm. Just after I joined Bay Street, uh, post-Nortel uh, uh, crash, uh, 2002, 2003, the whole space woke up. Uh, and it was thematically similar to, to present, but it had its own nuances. And the big nuance back then was the supply from the decommissioning of nuclear warheads, which I really right. liked, right? Take those missiles, take the uranium out of them and sell them back to power plants, which they could. Um, and, and that story was so strong for such a long time. Uh, I wonder how many warheads they took took out, how many new ones have been built and what the net number is. And I just think about, of course, the popular movie right now on Netflix, Oppenheimer. Uh, mm-hmm. Worth a view, my good friends, if you got about six hours uh, to view it. Uh, excellent movie, but uh, <laughs> it's a bit of a slow one. But uh, anyway, it, 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 it's, it's a space that uh, really is playing itself out slowly over decades with ebb and flow along the way. But Jack, you're a big believer long-term to, to, to power the grid. Uh, the solution, one of the solutions midterm is? Absolutely. It's going to be nuclear. So it's, uh, and that's part of the whole electrification trade that we're talking about, the secular trade. It is. Jason, that was a lot of fun uh, hanging with you today. We're going to get sure you was. In, in, live in studio. We're going to have even more fun uh, and more intellectual property being shared with you. It's all about your wealth, my friends. We want you to have more of it. Uh, please, any questions for Jack or I, WolfgangKlein.com. Uh, send us a note. We will get back to you. Have a safe weekend. Have a prosperous weekend. And look forward to Monday. It's a whole new game. Thank you. You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hardhill, Portfolio Managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any questions about money, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. Join us again next week.